Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Waking Up with Wandy on the Stock Showdown podcast. It's wonderful to be back here this afternoon, and we have a very special treat for you here this afternoon. We have an esteemed guest, and that esteemed guest is Jacqueline Shedak. A little bit of a background on Jacqueline, and thank you, Jacqueline, by the way, for the rescheduling that we've had to do. I know that uh, our schedules uh, and, and due to some illnesses with COVID and all that uh, stuff. I, I know that my, my family had it on my end and you were sick and I'm glad that everybody's healthy and well and, and we're ready to you know get this podcast rolling. So it's, it's great to again, finally connect with you here this afternoon. So a little bit of a background on Jacqueline. She is a C, uh, excuse me, I was gonna, I was gonna you know, abbreviate it. I'll, I'll spell it out for everybody. It's a certified financial planner because not everybody understands what a CFP is. So it's a certified financial planner. Not only is that not only a CFP, but she's also a best-selling author and serial entrepreneur. Now I'd love to, you know, just dive right into it, Jacqueline, because um, you're the second person I've podcasted, and it didn't actually work out with a uh, with a podcast and getting to what that definition actually meant with a previous guest because I, I just never circled back to it. But serial entrepreneur. So that's the second time that I've heard the term serial entrepreneur over the last two days. Um, so my students hear the term entrepreneur all the time. Can you elaborate on what makes the difference between an entrepreneur and a serial entrepreneur? It's a great question. And I thank you so much for having me today. I was really excited to come on and be able to talk to some people who are high school age. I remember being in high school and there's some very pivotal, sorry, pivotal, pivotal, yes, guys, excuse me, pivotal <laughs> uh, uh, moments during that time. So I'm excited to maybe shed some light and, and hopefully help some people make sense of some things. And I love that we're talking about entrepreneurship because when I was that age, I wasn't talking about entrepreneurship. I actually was talking about survival skills, uh, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So entrepreneurship. So an entrepreneur is an easy way to categorize it is an entrepreneur is somebody who likes to take business into their own hands. So they are in a position where they want to own a business, right? So that's what they pursue. Now, a serial entrepreneur, there's multiple definitions of it. For me, a serial entrepreneur is somebody who has the ability to take on multiple projects as an entrepreneur, right? Multiple businesses, multiple endeavors, um, I like to take it like one step further and say a serial entrepreneur is somebody who has successfully exited a business. Okay. So in my opinion, in order to be a serial entrepreneur, I don't think you can do everything at one time. Right. So you guys will be talking about business ideas and you'll say, Oh my gosh, I could do this and this and this and this and this. And you absolutely can, but I don't think you can do all of those things at one time. So I think in order for you to be a successful serial entrepreneur, you have to have had what's, what we call a disposition or an exit from one business. Okay. So I want you to have successfully put something on your resume business-wise before you move on to the next business entrepreneurially. So you don't necessarily have to have left the business, but let's have some, some kind of success story behind that. Right. So serial entrepreneur is somebody who pursues multiple businesses or projects. Okay. Fantastic. I, um, <laughs> that speaks volumes to me. I launched, uh, I guess I, I launched my first business in 2021. Um, you know, when the pandemic first started, actually it goes back to 2019. Um, and I started building this project and it continued to evolve and evolve and evolve. 
And then I finally got the courage um, to get out there in 2021 and release it uh, to the public. And, you know, I'm still fine tuning things and it's nowhere near uh, where it needs to be to, to have this exit, uh, this disposition, as you will. And, you know, I don't want to because I love what I'm doing with it. Uh, but nevertheless, now I have this like new idea that's coming into my head uh, of something I can do with education and, and my gift of uh, being able to do, I think, do well with spreadsheets. I, I, I have a passion for that and, and educating people about that. So this is another endeavor that I'm working on. But, you know, I think you're right to say that, you know, you can do all these things. And I'm heeding your advice here that you have to maybe focus on one thing at a time exit that and then start another project because it's really hard like you said to to take on all these tasks you know included with your day-to-day -day, your day-to-day -day life now as a high school student you might have a little bit more free time i myself as a father of four and a full-time teaching job uh that that time comes few and far between but in the same breath these high school kids you know i'm thinking again of all the things that they're doing with you know some of my kids are taking college level courses while they're in high school, they're, you know, they're, they're in sports, you know, they're in the clubs and they're working and, you know, they kind of want to have a social life too. So, um, it, that's great advice, Jacqueline. And, and I think that hopefully it resonates with me and hopefully that will resonate with, uh, with some of my students. So now that we got the definition of, you know, serial entrepreneur and, and figuring out what that means and the difference between a regular entrepreneur, um, some projects you have and i would say that you know being an entrepreneur is being a cfp uh certified financial planner you're out on your own um this is probably one of the vast projects that you have so can you shed some light on this particular endeavor that you're involved with right now and, and how that came to be and what was your you know what was your come to jesus moment of why you wanted to get into certified financial planning yeah sure so i'll share first what a certified financial planner is. And the best way for me to do that is to share some of my story. So going back to the survival tactics that I had mentioned a little bit earlier, that's what I was trying to do during my high school years. So I actually grew up on a thousand acre ranch in Northern California and giving you guys a short story, the property we lived on it and it got sold out from under us. So when it was sold out from under us, my grandfather who owned it died at the same time. And so my mother inherited $1.4 million. Sounds like a lot of money, right? And when we inherited that money, she wanted to move. She no longer wanted to live in California. So we moved to Georgia, which is where I live now. And that's how I got here. So the way that I got into financial advising is because my mother lost all of that money in four years due to poor financial advice. So in high school, I'm trying to make sense of like why we had this money because she got it right before I went to high school. So at the beginning of high school, I'm basically on a high, right? Because I'm like, wow, we went from living in poverty, essentially, because my mom didn't have, she was, she was cash flow poor is what we call it, right? Mm. She was a single mom with three kids, working two or three jobs to make ends meet, and then she got this inheritance. So our lives were changed. Now our lives were quickly changed within those four years because she lost all of that money. So I had a lot of questions about that, probably like some of the listeners, like, hmm, well, how did that happen? 
And the problem I had was that my mom couldn't answer those questions for me. And I was like, all right, somebody has to be able to answer these questions. And so it took a little bit of time for me to figure it out, but I ended up Googling like somebody who could help give financial advice and could help us to understand what happened to all of the money. And so I came across the certified financial planner designation and I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Right. So then I finished college. I graduated cum laude from Kennesaw state university, which is one it's, it's the largest or second largest university in Georgia. We go toe to toe at UGA, but I ended up graduating from there with a degree in finance. And then I pursued the certified financial planner designation after that. And my master's in uh, professional financial planning, which I have not completed, but I have started that. And so that's kind of been my educational journey. And that was the starting point of why I was like, okay, I want to be a financial planner so that people don't get it taken advantage of financially. So it, it took, you know, it took a life event, a life changing event to inspire you to want to now make a difference in the lives of others. So they don't go down those same paths and lose, you know, lose an inheritance, or they're just, again, more well-educated about how that money is going to last, um, you know, for a lifetime. So fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe they're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, and they just don't know how to make sense of how to invest their money and how to understand budgeting and all of those kinds of pieces. So I help bring them financial clarity when it comes to that. Now, you had said something very, uh, very important in, in your um, in your response about you know, the inheritance your mother uh, had, had taken in. She, you had mentioned, you know, she had three kids, single mom, and she was cash flow poor. Um, you know, we hear about, you know, the terms budgeting all the time. Well, at least my students do. <laughs> they, they darn well should be hearing it all the time, <laughs> but not necessarily hearing the exact terminology cash flow. Now, why is that so important cash flow? Um, because I don't think enough is, is emphasized about the term cash flow. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I like that question. It's funny because that's basically the first question I ask all of my clients is how's cash flow? And the question of how cash flow is doing is based on your budget, right? So it's kind of another fancy word for that. And I encourage people not to be scared by the word budget because all it is is understanding your cash flow, right? So all cash flow is is a statement or an understanding of what's coming in to your house and what's going out, right? So how much money are you making and how much money are you spending? Seems pretty that makes sense. Yeah, no, seems pretty straightforward. The uh, You can't spend more uh, than you have coming in. And that's what I kind of, you know, I re recall when I used to teach financial literacy specifically to the students at Sussex County Technical School, shout out to you guys, uh, was that you can't spend more than you have coming in. And I was like, well, technically you can, but then you're going into debt to do so as you're using credit to pay off these. And that just could be, if not managed properly, a recipe mm -hmm. for disaster. An absolute recipe for disaster. It was funny because when I started college, when you get to college, you'll notice you'll get these award letters, right? So it'll be your financial aid award letter. And they'll say, hey, you have access to all of this money. Do you want to take this money? Yes or no? And everybody around me said, yes, 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 I want to take the money. And I sat there and I said, don't you have to pay that money back at some time? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, 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 but it's way later down the line. And I was like, I don't think it's that far away. It's when you get done with college. 
So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take that money that I don't need because I'm going to have to pay it back at some point. That's debt, right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to avoid debt. Even though I didn't really know what it was at 18 years old, I was like, it doesn't sound good. I don't like owing people things. So I'm going to not, I'm going to not engage in the debt. <laughs> so now that you brought that up, I think this is a fantastic segue because I just want to, I want to get your take on, on this particular hot topic. And, you know, maybe it's, Maybe it's meant to be political leverage. I don't know. But there is a program out there that has put on pause student loan repayments, um, as long as they're not private student loans. And that's been put in place since the Trump administration when we started the pandemic back in March of 2020. So now we're you know on the cusp here of two years that borrowers have not had to make these repayments. And it's been extended and extended and extended. And the Biden administration was pretty adamant that they were not going to extend it again when we got to January, um, I believe January 31st. But then Omicron variant came and surfaced. And now it's pushed back to May, I believe, May 1st. What are your thoughts? I mean, as far as the pause on, on the repayments, um, as far as should should it be eliminated altogether because i know that that's being discussed i know that biden kind of i think alluded to eliminating up to ten thousand dollars i think he may, may have campaigned on that and again i don't want to get into political discourse at all uh, i just want to i guess get your take on is it is it the right move to make to continue to push this out um or should we eliminate it altogether? I mean, I read a poll that said 93% of borrowers uh, when this repayment starts in May are still going to struggle to make those payments. So from a certified financial planner's perspective and somebody that said no to those student loans, what's your take on this whole process? Mm, okay, well, I did say yes to some student loans later. We'll oh. talk about that later. <laughs> So um, I think we're looking at two things and I'll preface it with this. We're having two different conversations here. We're having a political conversation. We're having a financial conversation. And so first politically, I want to encourage anybody listening to, to make sure that you're understanding how our political system works. Okay. You need to understand politics because politicians set the rules, right? So that's who sets the rules for your money, who sets the rules for your finances, okay? And if you want to live in the U.S. and you want to be a U.S. citizen, which you probably are right now, you have to have a partnership with the IRS. You have to have a partnership with the government. That's how your citizenship works. So if you're going to be a citizen here and you're going to partner with the government, you have to follow some of their financial rules. Now, if you follow their financial rules, Sometimes it works out in your favor. Other times, you got to work the system a little bit, okay? So right now, everything that I like to talk about is something that helps clients or helps customers to understand the system and get it to work best for them. So in terms of the student loan repayment, um, speaking from my client standpoints, that's a beautiful thing to have your federal student loans have no interest accrued for almost two years and you don't have to make any payments for two years. That is a beautiful thing. And that is why I encourage a lot of students or, you know, past graduates to not be super upset with the amount of student loan debt that they have because your student loan debt, assuming you graduated from college was taken out 
with the purpose in mind to make your life better. Because the more education you have, the more valuable you are seen in the job market. And the more valuable you're seen in the job market, the more money you can get paid. Okay, so don't confuse your um, value in the job market with your value as an individual. Okay, two separate things. And I'm getting kind of into the money planning and positivity book of this. But in terms of your student loan debt, I think that you should try to take any advantage there that you have. And so you have advantages when you take out federal loans versus private loans. Right. And this is a perfect time because as I was explaining to this to people pre-pandemic, they weren't really getting it. But now we've had the pandemic and now they see the result of what happens with your student loans, that they have the most flexibility of any loan that you will ever take out. And that's what you want when you're looking at your financial situation. You want flexibility. You want options. You want opportunities. And so you get that with the federal loan system. So if you're looking at taking out loans in the next few years to support your college endeavors, make sure that you are taking the federal loans first. Now, if anybody is kind of advanced in next level with those federal loans, you don't want to consolidate them and you don't want to refinance them because when you consolidate or refinance them, most of the time, 99% of the time, you lose your access to the federal benefits. So people who refinance their federal loans in 2019 didn't qualify for the deferment in zero interest in 2020. So it is very important that you leave the federal as is. It also creates a lot more flexibility for you because you're going to have a lot of repayment plan options and you won't get that on the private side. So those are the things I like to talk about in terms of consumers. Now, in terms of forgiveness moving forward, it's 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 up in the air. It seems like it's not really going to happen. And so I'm not banking on it for people, but I am also not telling them to pay off their loans super aggressively. Okay. So I hope that that's helpful. No, it is very helpful. And I caught an article the other, that was uh, fantastic. Thank you. Uh, I caught an article the other day that it's likely to be extended because now you're in the midterm elections um, and they don't want to lose the, that base that, you know, they're relying upon this extension. So let's just push it down to like the end of November now. So Again, to, not to get completely political, but I think it's very important that you have to understand the players in the space and how politics does work and you know how that has an influence, I think, on um, fiscal policy. And you need to under understand the difference between fiscal policy and monetary policy. So let's jump right into that one now and take this uh, head on with monetary policy. And it's great to get your perspective on Jack, uh, Jacqueline on this uh, hot topic as well is we have inflation running rapid uh, at a 40 year high right now with the Federal Reserve basically telegraphing the fact that they're going to raise rates more aggressively than they, they anticipated. So what kind of advice are you giving to your to your clients, um, knowing the fact that interest rates for all intents and purposes are going to start to rise I would say pretty incrementally here and, and pretty quickly. So what kind of advice and how are you positioning uh, some of your clients uh, with what's on the horizon here? Good question. So anybody that's new to monetary policy, monetary policy outlines basically the levers that the Federal Reserve has in order to adjust the money supply in our economy. Okay. Now they want to adjust the money supply in our economy based on what things are taking place, right? So 
pandemic, great example. They want to adjust the money supply because people were very fearful during that time. People were losing their jobs, right? So we had to adjust the money supply. So inflation is part of one of those things that happen based on what they do with all of their tools in their monetary policy toolkit, okay? So inflation is just a general rise in the cost of goods and services. So the best way I can put that is for everybody on YouTube and TikTok and all of those, I saw this video that somebody made that was like, hey, I work at Walmart and the price changes that I've been making recently have been insane. And so this person is videoing them literally changing the prices out on certain items. So there was an item that was like 278 and they replaced that sticker for 278 with something that was like 478. Now, in terms of money, less than $5, I don't, I don't think we consider that a lot of money, right? Like we're like, oh, that's not a whole, that's less than $5, right? But it's all relative, okay? Mm -hmm. So that was 278. We added an additional $2 to that. What is that percentage wise, right? It was almost a hundred percent increase, like 75%, right? A 75% increase is huge. And in order for that to make sense for you, think about the prices of other things, right? So think about the cost of your mortgage or your rent, right? If that was, if that saw a 75% increase, don't you think that would be a lot of money? If your rent was $1,000 and it increased by $750 just randomly, just like that, and they're like, hey, you paid $1,000 last month. I want you to pay $1,750 this month. You would be like, what? So that's a, a way for you to understand inflation. It's a rise in the price of goods and services, right? So goods being what you buy at Walmart, services being financial planning service that I offer, okay? So, so costs are going up. Now, how do you beat this? What do you do when costs go up? You have to invest your money because you have to invest with the goal, the baseline goal should be to beat inflation. So when we talk about, um, I don't know if you guys have gotten into like savings accounts and keeping your money in the bank, you know, mm -hmm. when you have a savings account, the idea is it pays you a certain amount of interest, right? So basically the bank pays you for having that money there. Right. Now, as we look at money right now and the way that monetary policy is set up, you're not being paid a whole lot of money on that money sitting in the bank account. So what do you do? You try to find alternatives for that. And what a lot of people will do is they'll turn to the stock market because it is a way for you to invest your money with the first goal to be beating inflation. And then the second goal to be meeting whatever investment needs you need to make. Right. So basically using your money to make money. That's the idea. And so with inflation, I am just having my clients make sure that they are invested in the best places possible. I can get super technical with that, but it's it's just about investing your money, honestly, so you can try to beat inflation. Now, with trying to beat inflation, which again, you know, is now right at seven and a half percent. I mean, historically, the market has returned what anywhere between ten to twelve percent on average since the inception of the market. What you know now with the telegraphing that the Fed has put in place with the rise in rates, it seems like there's a, an approach of taking risk off. And getting out of some of those, uh, you know, some of those hot names, perhaps in the market, um, like a Tesla, for example, or you know, in, Nvidia is a really popular one, uh, a GPU maker with some of my students. Uh, again, you have all these hot, uh, you know, hot, high flying names. Would you suggest then staying invested because I think that's important uh, to combat inflation, and you're not going to get paid much, like you said, in the savings account 
even if the Fed does raise rates, I don't think it trickles down substantially into your bank savings account. Do you, do you recommend going with the tried and tested blue chippers, your, your Pepsis and your Coca-Colas, your, your DuPonts and things, and even an Apple, for example, or a Microsoft that are tried and tested names that pay those dividends healthy? Is that a, is that a recommendation you would provide them? Mm, good question. So we're in a very interesting time. Um, Robinhood really took over the market in 2020 and retail investors really took over the market. So for those who don't know, retail investors are individuals like, you know, you and I who just invest their money. You have professional investors like hedge funds, financial advisors, you know, your big 401ks, all of that. You have these different levels to investing. So it depends on what level you're on. But all in all, we need to understand what is the goal for our portfolio. So I focus mainly on long-term investing because like you stated, the average return for the markets between 10 and 12%. Now, when we say the market, we're referring to for those who are taking notes because note takers are money makers. All right. <laughs> so write this down in your notes. S&P 500. When we say the market here in America, we are referring to the S&P 500. Standard and Poor's 500. It is a list of 500 of the largest companies in the U.S., and that's a benchmark that we use to say, like, how good is our money doing? How good is, like, our, our companies and economy doing, right? It's kind of like a rough uh, estimate there. So if we're looking at investing our money for the long term, then let's figure out how to design a portfolio. When I say design a portfolio, I mean just select the stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds that are all going to be inside of your investment accounts. We want to... We want to establish that portfolio for the long term, for the long haul. Okay, so what that means is when we have down periods like we're in right now, when we have turmoil, when we have some confusion, when we may feel like we want to pull out of our investments, we remember that we are invested for the long term. Long term usually being 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or sometimes you may even be planning for multiple generations. So you may be planning for another 100 years knowing that you'll never even touch that money. That's a whole other conversation. But it just depends on what that investment time frame is. Okay, that's the main thing. So if we have a long term investing time frame, then we're going to invest according to that. So I would say, yes, very healthy companies that are going to withstand the test of time, right? That's how we would design that portfolio. Great advice. Uh, so let me, let me remember, because I think this might even be the title of the podcast. I think, I think it was brilliant. Note takers are money makers. I love it. I absolutely love it. So thank you, Jacqueline. All right. With only a couple minutes here, uh, Jacqueline, to spare. Final parting words piece of advice to high school students going up this day and age. What do you got for us? I've got that. First of all, I don't even know you, but I know that you are brilliant. Okay. I know that. And somebody just has to bring that out of you. And if no teacher is able to do that, if we're not able to do that for you on this podcast, I want you to do it for yourself. I had an article that went viral on market watch and the title of it was, I promised myself I would never be broke again. At 17 years old, I promised myself that I wouldn't be broke. You know, my mom lost all of that money and I made that promise to myself and I've never been broke since then. <laughs> I may have chosen not to spend money certain places, but I've never been broke, broke. 
Okay, so you need to make a promise to yourself that you are going to give yourself the very best of everything. And in order for you to get the very best of everything, you have to be educated on the options. So I want you to pursue in a broad knowledge, which is just a knowledge in a whole lot of different topics. I want you to really feed into that because that is going to help propel your life forward and help get you to the next level. And I can't wait to see everybody's growth. I'm sure you're going to tag my social media handles and people can reach out to me there. You know, shoot me a DM, um, shoot me a text. My number is listed. I, I would love to keep uh, up with your journey and everything. And I hope this was really helpful for you. I believe in you. Yes. Thank you, Chad. Very inspiring. And you can find out more. Uh, this is Jacqueline's email. Do you mind if I share your email? Social media is definitely best. Okay. Social media on, uh, let's see. I see you on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Anything else or those those are it? I'm mildly on TikTok, but I know you can't message me there. So <laughs> all News to me, Jack and Jacqueline. I have no ideas. I'm 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 on the fence about dabbling. I think I'm going to, but nevertheless, uh, follow Jacqueline. That's Shedak on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Quite the inspiration. So thank you very much, Jacqueline, for joining. Myself waking up with Wendy on the podcast here. This is Wendy signing off. God bless.